This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Enjoy it while it lasts. It is the Matt McNeil Show here on your Thursday. Not me. I'm here. I'm like a bad tick. You can't get rid of me, Matt. No, I'm talking about this is right now. It's lovely outside. A nice temperature, a little foggy in the metro, 61 degrees. It's like 30 up in like Halleck up in the very northwestern part of the state. That's what's coming our way, isn't it? No, that's actually going to shoot north. There's another system. I was looking at Sven's weather forecast on Bring Me the News. Uh, There's another current system that's out in the Pacific. That's the one that's going to come through and give us some light snow on Saturday afternoon. So, but really, that one, that's one's going to be interesting because that one looks like it's actually going to mostly track south of us. We'll have some snow in the metro, but that looks like it's going to head south of us. So, I just hope whoever the weather people are pick that one model that shows like 14 inches of snow on the way. And this that's is what's one going model. To... This is not saying this is what's going to happen, but you know, look at this. You should be scared to death. Don't get me started. I got chewed out by too many people because I kept hammering on that weather, you know terrorism that they, they it's, do it's clickbait stuff yeah oh it is yeah yeah I, you know it you know it, it don't start off with it could be up to a foot of snow but we expect only an inch well what are you doing one of our 20 models showed this the other 19 said nothing's coming yeah, exactly the one that said but the one that looney larry put in there boy he's a nutbag no Oh, looney larry 952-946-6205 952-946-6205 uh so uh Coming up here a little bit later on, uh, this is we're, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, we're going to be uh, uh, talking to uh, Matt Bat. He is the Last Supper Club. He has got a brand new book out. Guy used to work, he, or he still works, I think, over at St. Thomas. And just when he was on sabbatical, went into the restaurant industry, something he'd done when he was younger, and just has a lot of thoughts on that. And just uh, talking about, you know, kind of the enjoyment that he had doing that. So we'll talk to him about that. Anita Gall, one of my favorite people on the planet. She joins us a little bit later on. You may remember we had her on in early October because we have this new flag contest here where you can submit a flag design. Well, I told her when we get to the end of the month and we get towards the deadline for the entries, we will have her back. Hence, she is back today. There is indeed is a deadline on this. And so we'll talk to her coming up here a little bit later on. 952-946-6205, 952 952- Nine four six six two, oh five. It's going to be a busy hour. I got a lot of things to get to today. Starting off with Robert Card, forty years old. When I was a kid, we are at Halloween, and I have talked about this on the air before. I'd go out occasionally as a hunter, especially if it was going to be a cold trick or treating. My dad had plenty of good warm hunting gear. And I could put it on. And I would literally walk down the street with a shotgun. <laughs> Not loaded. It wasn't loaded, but it was it was a shotgun. And I'd walk around and, you know, kudos for costume. No one batted an eye. And why not? Because back in the, 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 the early 60s and early 70s, although there was some gun violence, it wasn't anything like what we have today. And back then, 
you would see, you know, you'd see a kid walking down the street with a shotgun and you'd say, oh, it's Halloween. It's trick or treating. You wouldn't say, oh, my God, get everyone inside, you know, barricade the doors. And that's where we're at today. The. It is it is truly there's a lot of people that are going to burn in hell. That in the 80s started to pay Hollywood to put guns into movies as the hero, knowing that when they watched, you know, Death Wish or Rambo or Die Hard, that the people who fantasize that, I wish I was the hero, would be likely to go on out there and try to buy those weapons. And then they started marketing weapons-grade, military-grade weapons, military-grade weapons meant for combat zones for public consumption, while at the same time paying politicians, mostly Republican, few Democrat, over the decades, billions, billions of dollars to basically push this idea that this is what the founding fathers wanted. The founding fathers wanted banana clips, 40 rounds every 10 seconds, that they wanted, you know, schools shot up, that they would rather have a a, a bunch of eight-year-olds killed than actually have guns restricted. That this is what they had, and they and they brought out these paid-for idiots to basically scream this as the gun industry and the bullet industry pocketed money left and right. And so from the 1970s where I would go out trick-or-treating with an actual shotgun and no one would even bat an eye, heck, I don't even think I was the only one trick-or-treating as a hunter that in any given year. Today, you got to hope that your kid doesn't get gunned down doing trick-or-treating or bowling or having dinner. Or at a bar. This flooding of guns everywhere is indeed killing us. And make no mistake, we are fodder for the the people that are behind this. We are fodder. We are basically the, 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 the sacrifice they're willing to make for their cause. They won't do a damn thing about this. The same people that scream about life, we are so pro-life, we want to start pulling life. The same people who basically describe that, well, is it out of line for a doctor right after a baby's been born to start punching it in the face? Well, that's never happened. Is it? You're not saying, I know it's happened. It might not have happened with you, but it's happened in every place in this country is doctors punching babies right after they're born, right in the face. <laughs> Why aren't you first stopping that? That same group of people will not do a damn thing about this because – These actually, excuse me, I said 16, these 18 dead, 18 dead. I think it was 16 wounded. I think hundreds 
whose lives are shattered. That, that, that this 18, that's, that's their sacrifice. They don't know you. They don't care who you are. They are more than willing to sacrifice you, your loved one's life, whoever, for their cause. Not because that there's any basis in sanity in any of this. No, the founding fathers did not want people to basically be able to slaughter their neighbors willy-nilly. No, that's not what they wanted. Nope, nope, God no. And if we, we are at the point where we just have to completely redo that amendment and add a new amendment to the Constitution to undo the Second Amendment to get it done. And I have zero doubt that the gun industry will order, order the gun-carrying people to go, shoot them, shoot them, stop them before they do it. Because they don't want to stop this. The gun industry doesn't want to stop this. They are making more money. They got more yachts. They got more vacation homes. They got more, you know, tail on the side than they could ever deal with. This is who they are. They, they are gladly, gladly with a smile on their face, sacrificing you, your kids, your family for their cause. Currently, they do not have an idea where Robert Card is, 40 years old. Schools are shut down. Residents being advised to shelter in place as the search for a gunman on Wednesday night's mass shooting at a bar and bowling alley in Maine enters its second day. Arrest warrant for Robert Card of Bowden, Maine. B-O-W-D-O-I-N. Bowden. Uh, uh, Bowdoin. Bowdoin? Bowden. I think it's Bowden, actually. Yeah, I'm not sure on that one. I think it's, that's right, too. Has been, issue, has been issued for eight counts of murder following the attack that left 18 people dead, 13 others injured. State police said press conference. Police previously said 16 people were killed in a shooting. The state's second largest city of Lewiston. Um, they only charged him with eight counts because they've only been able to identify eight of the bodies at this point. Mr. Card is armed and dangerous. Police advise that Maine people should not approach him under any circumstances. Maine Governor Janet Mills warned at a press conference, please, if you see anything suspicious, please call 911. Card was trained as a firearms instructor at the U.S. Army Reserve Training Facility at some point, had threatened to carry out a mass shooting at Maine's Saco National Guard base, according to a bulletin that was sent out to law enforcement officials following the shooting and reviewed by the Associated Press. A bulletin also noted that he had spent two weeks in a mental health facility this past summer and had reported hearing voices. Police declined to comment on his mental health and how he was able to attain a firearm during Thursday's press conference. Card's whereabouts remained largely unknown at the time of Thursday's morning press conference. State police said Card's vehicle, a small white SUV, was found abandoned at a boat launch in Lisbon Falls, Maine. Card has two watercraft registered to his name, including a 1989 Bayliner boat, according to public records. The U.S. Coast Guard was patrolling the nearby waterways, searching for Card's 15-foot bay liner, which was unaccounted for. The outlet cited the Coast Guard official with the, the Booth Bay Harbor Station, which did not immediately respond to Huffington's post for comment. Uh, authorities say that they responded to reports of mass casualty events at multiple locations within minutes of each other starting at around 7 p.m. on Wednesday. State police said seven people, six males, one female, were found fatally shot inside of a bowling alley. And that the police identified these spare time recreations. The bowling alley was renamed to Just in Time Recreations in 2021, according to a website and social media. Eight more people were found dead at a nearby Smessengee's Bar and Grill. One male was found dead outside the establishment. Seven others dead inside, police said. Three additional victims were taken to local hospitals where they were pronounced dead. 
Photos released at night by police show a bearded man who appears to be armed with an AR-15-style rifle entering a popular bowling alley with the gun drawn. Shocking videos show people fleeing the bowling alley into the night, some of whom appear to be with children. A number of parents and children were the facility as part of a children's bowling league. <sighs> children's bowling league night. Children's bowling league night. Now, Matt, you need to understand, as tragic as all these deaths are, they're, they're, the, they're the price to paid for freedom. Screw you. You dim-bulbed, arrogant, ignorant, Neanderthal jackass of a human being. Screw you and your fantasies, your sick, twisted, sexually deprived fantasies about guns. He walked into a bowling alley on children's bowling at night and opened fire. None of those kids are God, God be with all the ones who died, the ones that are injured, but even the ones that weren't dead or injured, they're never going to be the same again, ever. The sacrifice the Republicans and the gun lobby are willing to make for their cause. Brave stance. You couldn't have done this with a hammer. All you stupid moron gun kooks, you couldn't have done this with a hammer. You couldn't have done this with a lead pipe. That that they could have done this with a bow and arrow. No, they couldn't have. Couldn't have done this with a car. Couldn't have done this with anything else outside of a weapon that is designed for you to stand in one position, pull the lock and load, pull the trigger, and spray an area with death. An area up to 300 feet in all directions. Once you spray through 40 bullets at 10 seconds, you flip that bullet, that banana clip right over, slap it back in, lock and load, spray the other way. It's insanity. It is pure insanity. And here we are. And we're all focused on this. But at no point do we ever do the same thing which we say to ourselves. Shouldn't we stop this? Shouldn't a sane Christian nation say to themselves, you know what, this is not good. This is, this is a really bad Sign of our society. Kids bowling night. I looked up at uh, Everytown USA at the main gun laws. They're 25th in the country for gun law strength. Minnesota, by the way, is 18th in the country. They do not have background check or personal permit. They do not have a, they do not, uh, have a carry conceal permit required. They do not have an extreme risk law where family members can petition for a court to ex- temporarily prevent someone in crisis from accessing guns. Sure, hindsight 2020 on that one, guys, huh? The guy that had a mental cr- health crisis and was talking about having a mass shooting and was talking about the voices in his head, maybe, just maybe, as opposed to some right-wing sheriff who's going to tell you what laws I am and ain't going to force. 
telling you that I'm not going to allow that to happen. Maybe just maybe you say to yourself, well, clearly this man should not have a weapon because he was trained to use them with lethal efficiency. One of the other things which I thought was was interesting about Maine as I was running through this, um, they do have a mental health prohibitor. Bars gun possession by people who have been involuntary committed or found to be danger of self or others. Now, I'm going to guess what has happened here is no one followed through. This is one of those laws which requires follow through. And no one – and I don't know if he was involuntary committed. It sounds like he was. Or was it the situation where the Bowden, where, the, where he lived, did the county sheriff there say, I ain't going to take anyone's guns away. Founding fathers want him to go over to the kids' bowling night and slaughter them all. Is that what they did? And if you don't want me talking about this like this <laughs> – how, how about this? As opposed to getting mad at me, let's stop the gun slaughters. I'll stop tomorrow. I will stop tomorrow. I won't ever talk like this again if we stop the gun slaughters. When you're more upset about me talking about the gun slaughters than actually trying to stop the gun slaughters, the problem's not me, dude. The problem's not me. 952-946-6205. We'll take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205 is the phone number. It, it's just, the shooting was the country's 36th mass killing this year, according to database made by the AP and the USA Today, in partnership with Northeastern University. At least 190 people have died in those killings, which are defined as incidents in which four or more people have died within a 24-hour period, not including the killer. The same, the same definition is used by the FBI. So far this year, the nation has witnessed the second highest number of record on record of mass killings and deaths to this point in a single year. Only 2019 had more mass killings, according to the database, and there have been more than 600, me, 560 mass killings since 2006, in which at least 2,900 people died. 2,000 were injured. Tens of thousands probably mentally scarred in all of those. Romeoville, Illinois, September 17th. A couple, their two children, ages seven and nine, and three dogs were found fatally shot in their suburban Chicago home. Police were checked, asked to check on the family after one member did not show up for work that morning. Phone calls went unanswered. Authorities said a 32-year-old man has suspected the deaths. He died later after a fire crash in Oklahoma, uh, along with a passenger, and had a relationship with the victims. Lake Township, Ohio, August 24th. Five members of a family, including three children, were found dead in a home in Lake Township, Ohio, by police officers performing a welfare check. Authorities say a husband and wife and their two daughters and son died from gunshot wounds of the deaths are being investigated as a domestic dispute that turned deadly. Oklahoma City, August 16th, police in Oklahoma City said a 28-year-old man fatally shot three young children ages 9, 5, and 2 and his estranged wife before taking his own life. Officers visited the family home following a report 
of a domestic disturbance. By the way, that how many how many of these kid, kids are involved in this? Remember all those Republicans that talk about we want to protect the kids? Bull crap. Hampton, Georgia, July 15th, a 40-year-old man is accused of fatally shooting four people all in their 60s in a suburb south of Atlanta. Police say the man's motive was not immediately clear. Shreveport, Louisiana, July 4th. Multiple males are believed to have exchanged gunfire at an annual Independence Day block party just before midnight, leaving at least four people dead and at least seven others injured. Philadelphia, July 30, 40-year-old man accused of opening fire with an AR-style 15 rifle, killing four people, wounding four others, including a two-year-old in southwest Philadelphia neighborhood. Green Pond, South Carolina, July 2nd, a 33-year-old man was charged with murder in the killings of his sister-in-law and 11-year-old daughter after authorities found six people dead and one person in critical condition at a home while responding to reports of a house fire and stabbings. They did not immediately identify the motive. Kellogg, Idaho, June 18th. A 31-year-old man is accused of fatally shooting four members of a neighboring family on their apartment on Father's Day. The man was upset. The neighbor's 18-year-old son had reportedly exposed himself to the man's children, the police allege. Uh, Sasquatchy, Tennessee, June 15th. 48-year-old man is thought to be responsible for killing himself and five others, including three children and his estranged wife, in a home where police responded to a shooting and arrived to find the residents ablaze. Authorities said a seventh person suffered gunshot wounds was found alive at the home after firefighters extinguished the flames. Mesa, Arizona, May 26, a 20-year-old man shot four men to death and wounded a woman in a 12-hour crime spree in the metro Phoenix area. He told police when he met the victims at random that day at random places during a park, and including a park and a convenience store, became angry when they sh- the subject of drugs came up. Nash, Texas. May 23rd, authorities jailed an 18-year-old man in connection with the shootings of his parents, sister, and brother inside a home. The victim's co-worker, who went to the home after one of the victims failed to show up for work, told police the man said he had killed his family because they were cannibals and they were going to eat him. Make sure that guy is completely and totally armed. That's what you Republicans did. You did. You made sure he he had tons of firearms. Allen, Texas, May 6th, a 33-year-old man was with an arsenal of illegally purchased firearms, killed eight people and wounded seven others at a Dallas-area shopping center. He had posted online about his white supremacist and misogynistic views. Police officer fatally shot him within four minutes, though. Within four minutes, four minutes, still was able to kill eight people, wound seven others. Within four minutes. Lake Wales, Florida, May 2nd, 38-year-old man was suspected of fatally shooting a woman and her three children after police were called to an apartment complex where they found the bodies. After an hour-long stand-up in the motel, police fatally shot the man. Henrietta, Oklahoma, May 1st, a 39-year-old man fatally shot his wife, three children, and two friends before killing himself, authorities say. They were all found dead on his rural property. He was a convicted rapist and had been freed from prison early despite facing new sex charges on a separate case. Make sure that guy has plenty of guns. Mojave, California, April 30th. Four people were found guilt, fatally shot inside an RV in a remote Mojave Desert community. Authorities say there was no immediate arrest, but two people were being sought to questionings as persons of interest. Cleveland, Texas, April 28th. A 38-year-old man was arrested after a four-day manhunt. Authorities allege that the man charged in a neighbor's home killed five people, including a nine-year-old boy, after his neighbors asked him to stop firing his AR-style rifle because the baby was trying to sleep. Bowdoin, Maine, April 18th. A 32-year-old man confessed to fatally shooting four people, including his parents, at a home. From there, he fled and fired shots, moving vehicles on a highway. Several vehicles were hit by gunfire, but the three people injured were a family in the same car. By the way, that's where the hometown of the the current shooter is from. 
Dadeville, Alabama, April 15th. Six suspects aged 15 to 20 were charged with reckless murder in connection with a shooting and sweet 16th birthday party killed four people, injured at least 32 others. Two high school seniors were killed. Two others were killed were 19 and 23. Louisville, Kentucky, April 10th, a 25-year-old bank employee armed with a rifle opened fire at his workplace, killing five people, including a close friend of a Kentucky governor, while live-streaming the attack on Instagram. Monroe, Louisiana, March 31st, a 37-year-old man was arrested on arson and murder charges after a filer killed four people in a home. Nashville, Tennessee, March 27th, 28-year-old killed three children, three adults in a shooting in a small Christian elementary school before being killed by police. The student was a former sh- uh, the shooter was a former student there. Sumter, South Carolina, March 21st, a 42-year-old former soldier sought and killed three children as they slept in their home while their mother frantically sought help. He also killed an army soldier who was at the home before killing himself. The shooter and the children's mother were divorced. Birmingham, Alabama, March 13th through the 14th. 28-year-old man was suspected of killing four people in overnight shootings. Authorities said the man approached a police officer, said he had shot people in Birmingham and two people in St. Clair County, Dallas, Texas, March 12th. An 18-year-old man and a 20-year-old woman were charged in the fatal shootings of four people in an apartment. They told police they'd broken into the home to take money. The man admitted shooting all the victims. Miami Lakes, Florida, March 10th. Police found three females, two males dead from apparent gunshot wounds inside a home. The wounds of one man appeared to be self-inflicted, leading Investigators to believe it was a murder-suicide. Cocoa, Florida. 36-year-old man was arrested after fatally shooting his teenage daughter, her mother, and two other people. Deputies responded after one of the two surviving children had called a relative for help. Daphne, Alabama, on February 22nd. A 20-year-old man was accused of killing his grandparents, his brother, and family friend with a handgun and a pickaxe. Their bodies were found in the backyard of the grandparents' home and inside a bedroom in the house. Arkibutala, Mississippi, February 17th. A 52-year-old man shot and killed six people, including his ex-wife and stepfather, at multiple locations in a tiny rural community, authorities said. The man was armed with a shotgun and two handguns. A family friend said that he had a history of mental illness. Luttrell, Tennessee, January 29th. A 52-year-old man who complained of having the devil in his head fatally shot four children in his home before sitting in the residence ablaze and shooting himself. The children were aged 5 to 15. Half Moon Bay, California, January 2030. 66-year-old man was charged with killing seven people in back-to-back shootings at two mushroom farms. He pleaded not guilty. Prosecutors said he opened fire at the mushroom farm where he'd worked, killing four co-workers, wounding another one. He said then he drove to a mushroom farm he was fired from in 2015 and fatally shot three former co-workers there. Monterey Park, California, January 21st. A 72-year-old man opened fire on a mostly elderly crowd at the Lunar New Year dance killing 11 people, wounding nine. The man later died of an apparent self-inflicted gunshot wound. Goshen, California, January 16th. Authorities announced more than two dozen arrests during a gang crackdown following the fatal shootings of six people, including a teenage mother and her baby. That investigators believe stemmed from a gang rivalry. Cleveland, Ohio, January 13th. A 41-year-old man was accused of fatally shooting his father, sister, and nephew, as well as another man and critically wounding an 8-year-old girl. The man pled not guilty. High Point, North Carolina, January 7th. A 45-year-old man fatally shot his wife and three children, then himself. Authorities said that all five lived together in a home. Two others escaped the house. One of the survivors was a relative in the family, and another was an acquaintance, both in their 20s. Enoch, Utah, January 4th. A 42-year-old man fatally shot his five children, his mother-in-law, his wife, and then killed himself in two weeks after his wife had filed for divorce. Child Protective Services had opened an investigation on the man on child abuse and threats by the family just weeks before the killing. But, hey, make sure that guy's got plenty of guns. 
That's a lot, isn't it? We're not even out of October yet. When is it going to be enough? When? How many kids did I just describe being shot? How many? How many children did I just tell you were shot this year by psychopaths with weapons? A sane society would say, holy God, how do we stop this? But once again, I want to remind you, Republicans, the gun industry, and the bullet industry are more than willing to sacrifice you and every single member of your family for their cause. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. We'll take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. Remember, my mind is cluttered. I just put on one of the Rush albums, man. I just put my good headset on and slap this sucker on. Keep, keep this up, man. Keep this up. Uh, what a great album for me to waste, man. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. That was there. That was the one right before uh, Moving Pictures, where Tom Sawyer and everything came from. Just a great album. Just kind of they, they set themselves up. They kind of figured out their sound, and boom. And that the Spirit of Radio is one of my favorite all time songs. Period. Top five easy for me. Uh, 952-946-6205. Hey, uh, remember yesterday, uh, Brett, on the show, I actually asked a question on the show. Hey, Dean, what are you doing? In regards to Dean Phillips. Remember that? I actually I actually asked that question, right? Yep. I'm an idiot. I got an answer. <laughs> Apparently. Uh, all right. Dean Phillips is running for president. If that was supposed to be. I know outside of Minnesota, everyone just went, who? Star-Lord, man. It's Star-Lord's running for president. If that wasn't supposed to be a secret, the Minnesota Democratic congressman hasn't done the best job of keeping it. The Dean Phillips for President van was prominently parked in Concord on Thursday afternoon outside a building where Phillips was had to file will have to file for the New Hampshire presidential primary as a Friday deadline. The vehicle appeared to be the same vintage 1980s van Phillips has driven around his congressional district for years. He's one and dubbed the government repair truck. Wow. A calendar for the New Hampshire Secretary of State's office reviewed by the State Tribune Thursday list. Phillips is set to file for the presidential primary on Friday morning. Early this week, a red, white, and blue bus emblazoned with Dean Phillips for president logo was spotted driving on a freeway in Ohio, presumably on his way to New Hampshire. The bus was adorned with Phillips' signature slogan, Everyone's Invited. As well as the new one, Make America Affordable Again, which I don't know who your campaign dude is, but you think you're going to appeal to Democrats by embellishing a slogan from Trump? Embellishing a slogan for Trump, and which is taking a swipe at Joe Biden, by the way. It's also advertised at Dean24.com website. The domain is registered, but the site hasn't operational yet. 
That's kind of telling of his campaign. Uh, Minnesota DFL Chairman Ken Martin told the Star Tribune in an interview Wednesday he's also been informed Phillips is running for president. Enough people close to him have contacted, confirming me that he's in fact doing this. Martin said he's disappointed in Phillips is running for a hopeless campaign against Biden instead of backing the president against Trump. He's not going to end up finding the support that he needs. I think it'll be like a cold glass of water thrown in his face. I, Dean, I'm going to ask you the same question I have now asked. What, 10 times? Joe Biden, you do not win the Democratic nomination without the labor vote. You just do not. You have to have labor on your side. Joe Biden is not giving up the labor vote. I mean, news flash. They adore him. I mean, I, I was actually reading last night some of the major presidents of major unions across the country and all of them are like, there's no way in the world, there's nothing that Dean Phillips could offer us that's going to get us to reconsider whether we are endorsing Joe Biden. I mean, it's across the board, man. So sure, you might find one or two small unions, maybe the comp unions, I don't know. But you're sure not going to get the, the labor movement on board with you. That's just not going to happen. I... If this is about setting yourself up, I mean, I want to, I want to play the politics game for a quick second because I'm going to play the politics game with our new speaker here in just a moment. But I want to play the politics game with Dean Phillips for a quick sec. Okay, I want to you, you say what you're doing here because unless Brett brought up actually the best scenario I've heard yet is he trying to become Joe Manchin's VP pick if Joe Manchin tries to run as an independent? Is this all this is about? Get ready for that speech where I'm the same, but the Democratic Party left me behind. That sort of thing. And is he pandering to become Manchin's VP candidate if Manchin runs? I don't know. I don't know. My gut feeling is not that he still plans on being a Democrat. But if you're doing this to highlight your name as a potential option in 2028, which is what some people do. And let's face it, it's, you know, for Dean Phillips, he's a relatively unknown House member in the Midwest. This is a way for him to at least get his name out there across the country so that maybe in 2028 he he can get some traction. It's not the worst strategy, although I would make an argument that it's, you know, and maybe maybe the reason you're doing this is because of 2028. And you realize, well, you know, Kamala Harris is already going to be the, the the Democrats' pick if she wants to run. So this is your way for you to kind of try to kick open the door a little bit for yourself. Okay, fine. If you want to do that, you need to win your House seat again. You need to win your House seat in 2024, and you need to win your House seat in 2026. I have had multiple people come ask me, Matt, do you think he will get primaried? And I don't know. I don't, I don't know if he's going to get primaried. That's not the question. Would he lose a primary? If the DFL, a candidate came on out and said, I'm with Joe Biden. I, I don't know where this is coming from. Vote for me in the Minnesota 3rd. You got to remember, that is an East-heavy district. That, that is a lot of metro area. That is a lot of Democrats. They're, they're not about to, with, with anti-abortion, anti-LGBTQ rights, you know, let's overthrow the government, Republicans, they're not about to run back to the right. That's not going to happen. 
So even you could run a more liberal Democrat in that district, and I think they'll easily win by five to ten points. So the question is, is that does Dean Phillips have enough support in his district that if he goes out there and he makes a lot of the Biden people angry, will they come back and and get get on his side? I don't think so. I do not think so. I think he, he has made a lot of Democrats upset about this. Now, for all you DFLers out there, I want to make sure I reiterate this again. He has the right to do this. That's the rules. He's already missed Nevada. I don't. Do we know if he's missed any other states yet for registering for the primaries? Uh, I am not sure. I think it's only Nevada. It's only Nevada. Okay, Nevada, Nevada. Oh yeah, same thing. Yeah. Nevada. <laughs> We're not from Iowa. Vegas with Vegas with flair. Okay, we'll call it that. <laughs> um, he's not going to run there, which is a pretty that's an important pretty important Democratic state. Um. I just don't I – mean, you got Michigan now sitting there right at the beginning of this whole thing. Michigan, you know, where Biden just walked the camp, the, the picket lines with the UAW, which I believe they might have a deal all, all set to go. You're going to go beat him in Michigan. No. He has the right to do this. He has the right to do this. This is the law. This is the rules. He wants to do it. He can I'm going to ask the question an 11th time. Dean, how are you going to get the labor vote to abandon Joe Biden and come to your side? Because you will not win the nomination without the labor vote. Hey, I asked a question yesterday. I got an answer. Maybe we'll we'll pay attention to this show tomorrow in the 3 o'clock hour. We might have an answer on on how he plans on winning over the, the labor vote. If this is some ploy for you to basically springboard yourself into some sort of independent camp, can you just do us all a favor? Just leave the DFL right now. Just leave, be done with it, be over with it, and got done. If it's not, if you truly want to stay a Democrat and you want to do this, fine. You clearly have some backers. And buses with paint jobs aren't cheap. Those VW buses, the VW buses you keep driving around, those aren't cheap either, man. Those are pricey. So, yeah, I don't know. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Uh, going back to what I mentioned about the crazy psychopathic right. Hey, if you've heard, uh, Speaker of the U.S. House now is a guy named Mike Johnson. Now, Mike Johnson is a psychopath, and I mean it. It is a – he is a psychopath. He is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. He really is. Uh, he, you know, he he basically was part of a group here. Read this story. I, I posted this earlier today. You can find it on all the social media sites. This is from CNN. Has a history of harsh anti-gay language from his time as attorney of socially conservative legal groups in the mid two thousands. In editorials that ran in his local Shreveport, Louisiana paper, The Times, Johnson called homosexuality the inherent, unnatural, and dangerous lifestyle that would lead to legalized pedophilia and possibly even destroy the entire democracy system. In another editorial, he wrote, your race, creed, and sex are what you are, while homosexuality and cross-dressing are things you do. He wrote, this is a free country, but we don't give special protections for every person's bizarre choices. 
At the time, Johnson was an attorney and spokesman for the Alliance Defense Fund. So he was a lawyer for them. You know, you don't go there if, unless you believe in them. They're the, the, the basically the Alliance Defense Free uh, uh, the Alliance De- uh, Defending Freedom. It's, it's known as Alliance Defending Freedom today. It was the Alliance Defense Fund was there, but they even ruined their own name, so they had to change it to, to Alliance Defending Freedom. He authored an opposition to the Supreme Court ruling of Lawrence versus Texas, which overturned state laws that criminalized homosexual activity between consenting adults. These are the sodomy laws. And I have talked about this, and I've had Republicans look at me and say over and over and over again, Republicans are going to try to kick open your bedroom door. They already have. And now he's the speaker. They want to be able to dictate what kind of sex you do or don't do inside your own house in privacy with consenting adults. That is not individual freedom, dude. That is an authoritative, autocratic society, which is, and and I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to play, we're going to take a break, come back, we're going to play a few clips from this guy. This dude is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, and if if you ever doubt it, this guy wants to force Christianity on everyone in this country. He absolutely does. We'll talk about that. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Matthew Bat going to join us here on the top of the hour. The Last Supper Club, a waiter's requiem. He's going, he's going to talk about his latest book there. Uh, okay, so because no one knows anything about Mike Johnson because this was the plan. Basically tricked the rest of the Republicans into voting for a psychopath to be the leader of the Republican Party in the House. We've got tons of audio that's come on out now. Brett, go ahead, pick the first one. Go ahead and play this. This is going to be Matt, Mike Johnson, the new speaker. You know, we don't live in a democracy because a democracy is two wolves and a lamb deciding what's for dinner, okay? It's not just majority rule. It's a constitutional republic. And the founders set that up because they followed the biblical admonition on what a civil society is supposed to look like. Uh, no. it's uh, the, 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 okay. So what this guy has done is he makes up crap. He, he pulls it out of his backside. But he kind of delivers it in this folksy Southern, I'm a lawyer, and let me tell you about this, and two lambs and a wolf, and there's a dog and this. He thinks we're a biblical theocracy, a biblical republic. No, we're not. The founding fathers were very clear they wanted to have separation of church and state. That's not debatable. You're basically making this up. So here is a guy. This is the new speaker just outright lying about the makeup of this country to make it seem like, you know, he's, you know, you know forcing religion on other people is some sort of righteous stance. Go ahead and play another one. I would love for you to explain to us in your medical opinion, at what point in pregnancy should having an abortion no longer be an option? Thank you for the question. As a medical doctor, I understand that every pregnancy is unique and different I also understand that patients need to have access to care, pregnant people, as the pregnancy progresses, and that may be for various reasons. Okay, let me ask so you, do, do, let me ask you, do you support the right of a woman who is just seconds away from birthing a healthy child to have an abortion? I think that the question that you're asking, asking does not realistically reflect abortion care. In that in scenario, would you, su- would you support her right to abort that child? I won't entertain theoreticals. It's not a theoretical, ma'am. You're a medical doctor. 
I am a medical doctor, and that has never happened. Never happened in your practice, ma'am, but it, it happens. How about if a oh, child no, it is doesn't. halfway no, out okay, of the let's, birth let's, let's, You can stop playing this one. He goes down this road. I mean, this is the, what if the doctor starts punching the baby? You know, that doesn't happen. Yeah, it does. It happens everywhere. Baby punching. <laughs> he made up this fake. He's lying again. He's lying again, and he has convinced himself that, look at it, I'm the righteous one standing up. And here is this expert saying, I have never heard of anything like this. Well, it happens all the time. It happens everywhere. He's a liar. This is, And he's lying about psychopathic things because he wants to ban abortion for everyone. So what he's doing is he's making up mythical things, and he's pushing that. Go ahead. Play the next clip here. This is a this is a dark time in America. We have a, a, a lot of problems, and we're really, really hopeful and prayerful. Prayer is appropriate in a time like this, that the evil can end and this senseless violence can stop. And so that's that's the statement this morning for the on behalf of the entire House of Representatives. Well, Everyone really. wants this to end, no, no. and I'll leave it there. Uh, this is, once again, if you if you if you, he's talking about the shooting in Maine, and so. His great solution, Mr. We've got to save all people. Remember that? You remember that from the previous clip? It was hilarious. Anyway, he's the Mr. We're going to save all people now is thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. And the speaker is willing to sacrifice all those people of Maine for his cause. What a psychopath. Play the last one for us if you could. Well, what's happened, Alex, over the last 60, 70 years is that our generation has been convinced that there's a separation of church and state, right? You heard that term right. all the time. And most people think that that's part of the Constitution, but it's not. Remember, I'm a constitutional lawyer. Right. See, there's back to that. I'm, the, I'm a wholesome folks sound law. I, I don't need that, that, that guy from the big city talking about tire treads to tell me who's guilty with his utes. No, uh, you, you kind of get, yeah. This is his whole game plan. By the way, it's in the Constitution. It's, 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 the Founding Fathers put separation of church and state. That's not something that's new. That's something that existed. As a matter of fact, if you read about George Washington and you read about Jefferson, they very specifically explored other religions because they knew that they didn't want to force one religion on everyone. So, once again, this guy's a psychopath. So, let's recap. He authored the, 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 the opinion to the Supreme Court to throw out the election of Joe Biden with no evidence that any wrongdoing actually happened. He wants to get rid of all abortion and you don't have contraception or anything. That is what he wants. That's, that's established policy for him. He feels as if the LGBTQ uh, population is an abomination and he wants to make them illegal. And wants to kick open the doors and start regulating what kind of sex you can have within inside your own house. Shame on the Republican Party. Shame on them. My guess is going to be is that the Republican, far-right Republicans are like, just stay with him until primary season's over next year. And then we'll even put some fake bills up there that make it sound crazy like we're going to start murdering people in the streets and you can vote against them to make you look moderate. That's going to be my guess is how things go. So, uh, Matthew Bat, when we do come on back, it's the hour two up next. Hour number two of the show on your Thursday Anita Gall is going to join us. Uh, she is hitting up the uh, state's new flag design committee. 
You still have a few days to get your design in. We'll talk with her about 435. Before we get into our next interview, though, I got uh, Governor Tim Walls uh, has a post here, which is just absolutely freaking precious, and I love it. Uh, because if you have had a dog, this is uh, – <laughs> I can just see this. The governor posts today, text from my wife, this damn dog. Here are the texts. Scout locked himself in our bedroom somehow, and there is no key. I'm going to head home in a little bit. Then there's the second text. They're going to have to try to go in through the window. They're getting ladders. So Scout the, locked himself into the bedroom. They ha- Then he posts a picture of a guy in a ladder trying to get the window open, which it sounds like he did. And then finally, a picture of Scout as they have freed him in the, in, in the current governor's residence. Free at last. Where they look on his face like, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, as a dog owner myself, I I can just see. I mean, how seriously? Especially if you've got a, a lab of any kind. The labs do stuff like this all the time. How did you even do this? I love you. <laughs> you ever have a dog? Oh yeah, yeah. Not a lab though. But- What'd you have? Uh, schnauzers mostly. Oh, okay. Cute dogs, actually. I like those. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got Shelties. Too short to lock themselves in a room. I really? You, they, they get into trouble different ways. Shelties, yeah. I like Shelties. Shelties are smart, and they kind of like – they don't like anything. They're Niles Crane from Frasier. They're like, okay, you guys stay over there. I'll be over here, and I'll just watch you, okay? That's what I like. Smart, but kind of out of the way, and I like that a lot. So 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Matthew Bat is kind enough to join us right now. Uh, currently, he is a creative writing and English uh, teacher over at the University of St. Thomas, lives in St. Paul with his family. He has uh, put out the mem- uh, memoir, uh, memoir, Sugar House. His latest book, The Last Supper Club, is now on shelves. He's kind enough today to join us to talk about this book. Matt, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. My, my pleasure. Now, um, the, the, the concept behind this book, it should be known that you are a professor, but you had a sabbatical, correct? And that, that led you to have to try to find additional income? Yeah, you got it. So uh, where I teach, uh, sabbaticals come with a 50% pay cut. And uh, being an English teacher, my math skills are pretty shaky. And it, <laughs> it took me about seven or eight months to figure out that that was kind of a lot of money. So I had to get a job, and it had to be one that paid quick. Um, and waiting tables was about the only other thing I knew other than teaching. Now, you had experience. How much experience before teaching did you have with waiting tables? Uh, basically, my whole life. Uh, I've worked at, at restaurants in college all the way through grad school. I think all told I worked in uh, like 11 different restaurants over 15-some years. Did you – would you ever come across the concept of saying, you know, because I'm presuming at this point you're going through to school to get the teaching degrees and, and go through this. But did it ever cross yeah. your mind to say, you know what, I could stay, you know, you know as, a, as a, a waiter or a server. I could do this and I can make some good money. You know, to be honest, it never really did while I was doing it going to school because there was always this, you know, keep your eyes on the prize thing. Um, I'm going to be a teacher someday and <laughs> hopefully I'll get a job at a university. And I'll just, you know, I'll have trouble, like, figuring out where to put all, all my bags of money. Um, <laughs> so it, it just never occurred to me during grad school while I was waiting tables on the side um, that that was a possibility. And then the, the revelation with that I discovered waiting tables after I became, you know, uh, an associate professor on sabbatical uh, was that actually if you get a job at a good restaurant, you can make as much as I do 
as tenured faculty. Oh yeah, um, which, which was just nuts, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, by the way, I, do... I incurred roughly a hundred thousand dollars in debt to figure that out. Wow. I, I, I when you say it, uh, you think to yourself because you 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 point out something which is I think so common in a lot of different fields. I'm going to yes, I'm working in this job and yes, I make a pretty good living, but I'm going to have my degree and I'm going to I'll be raking home, I'll supersize all my meals. You know, that sort of thing and then you, and then you kind of get there and you realize, "Oh, I just, you know, you get to choose what you do, which is good because if you like what you do, that's a really yeah. good thing, but at the same time yeah. the trade-off is you're not going to be it's it's not the wheelbarrows of cash. No, man, I'm still eating ramen and, you know, Happy Meals, never mind the supersize option. <laughs> Nothing wrong with ramen, though. I like a good ramen. No, absolutely. And I was, by the way, uh, I had a, a birthday a few weeks back, and I went to Ocean Air. And, I mean, as you're looking around, there, there's a great example of servers uh, and the staff, the entire staff there, where they're making, I guarantee you they're making some good money there. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of one of those things where they earn it because they are... You know, you get into some of these high-end restaurants, you can make a good living, but you have to be at the top of your game. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think there's that big of a distinction between like the best servers, like, like at Ocean Air, um, or like at Manny's or something. Um, and like, you know, pro athletes basically, um, Mm -hmm. because these are people who are like working their butts off, uh, but making it look graceful and easy. Um, and you know, somehow like feeding us and making us happy at the same time, like, That's a nutty job description. Absolutely. So you go on sabbatical. You realize you need a job. So talk about the process here. At what point did you say, you know what, I'm going to go back. I need cash. I've got serving experience. There's tons of places that are hiring in the the service industry. Talk a little bit about that process and and how you ended up where you ended up. Yeah. So, you know, with uh, a lot of university teaching jobs, uh, faculty, handbook, guidelines and stuff, say that you can't have another teaching job, you know, like you're on sabbatical to do research or whatever. And, and I did all that, but you know, you can't control who pays you for that. And it turned out nobody did. So, um, I just remember hanging out at, uh, the neighborhood watering hole, the halftime wreck over here in St. Paul. Um, and I just was kind of looking around and I thought, Oh yeah, I could do this again. You know, like I always like waiting tables and bartending and, uh, it just occurred to me at the time, too, that, like, uh, the Surly Brewing Company had just opened its, you know, Destination Brewery, um, and I'd been there a couple of times, and, and both times there had been, like, you know, an hour, two-hour, three-hour long wait just to just to get some hog frites and a couple of pints. Um, and I thought, what the heck, like, let's see who's hiring. Um, and turns out they were, uh, and uh, I got an interview for this. Um, banquet staff position, which wasn't my first option, but you know, you got to take what you can get. Um, and when I showed up for the interview, um, the manager of this like new high end fine dining concept thing interviewed me instead of the, the banquet position um, and asked me if I wanted to work at a, a place that was serving some crazy, you know, just super high concept food. Um, I, I don't think I can say it on the radio, but he's like, you know, we're going to serve like duck tongues and, and stuff. Mm. <laughs> Um, and at that time I was, you know, game for anything. Um, and it, you know, turned out, uh, I took the job and, uh, ended up working there from the day it opened to the day it closed. Uh, even though my sabbatical had ended and I was back to full-time, uh, full pay and all that. Uh, but I loved the job and the people and the food 
just so much that that I kept working at the restaurant even after I was teaching again. So when you as a as a waiter and you're going into this, you know what he, what he's describing is what you've just described is really three different kinds of server experience. The the a, a beer hall with with you know quick appetizers, mm-hmm. quick meals there. A banquet staff, which is generally putting on a little more high end kind of coordinated events and stuff like that. But then you go to the high end restaurant here. Did it intimidate you at all when he suggested, "Hey, I want you over here"? <laughs> well, at first I thought he was kidding. I thought mm-hmm. like duck tongues, like that's that's not a thing, right? I mean, even <laughs> if it's a thing, it's not something we eat. Um, well, that's why Donald it, Duck. That's why Donald Duck talks like the way he does. I mean, we, we, we <laughs> it's right? just the way it is. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, and turns out they're really difficult to prepare uh, so that they're tasty. Um, but but anyway, I, I thought we'd be serving, you know, like steaks and salmon and stuff, which is uh, pretty easy for me after uh, my years of, you know, slinging, you know, hanger steak and um, fillets of fish and all that. Um, but anyway, w- once we got into training, it was just so overwhelming uh, for every item that was on the menu. Uh, the chef, uh, Jorge Guzman, um, gave us these like 200, 300 word spec sheets of ingredients and where stuff came from, how to pronounce it, what it was inspired by, what it was a fusion with. Um, and like most of this stuff, like I'm going to say like 240 out of 250 words were new to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't mean just in like a vague way. I mean, like we had a, uh, Escoffier, like gourmet food dictionary that like was basically worn out by the time we got got through training. Uh, joining us right now, uh, the Last Supper Club of Waiters Requiem. It's Matthew Abat joining us talking about this. So talk about that then a little bit because, I mean, up until that point, before you, you know, when you were serving before you became a professor, at what point did you ever work for anything close to that type of restaurant? I'd never eaten at anything close to this kind of restaurant. Like, I didn't. I didn't really know they existed outside of like, you know, Top Chef and that kind of stuff. Um, so I was really just, um, you know, pegged against the wall in terms of like my knowledge and my um, skill level and whatnot. Um, not to mention, I, I was a solid ten, fifteen, even twenty years older than most of the other people who worked there, um, and they were just all whip smart, super talented zeroed in on exactly what needed to be done. Um, and so I went in with the expectation, like I said, you know, I know how to serve a steak and take a temperature and pair it with a glass of wine or whatever. But this was off the charts. Like, this is food I've never heard of. Uh, we needed to make, like, flashcards for, like, every dish. Um, we needed to make flashcards for beer. For in, And we were responsible for every bit of knowledge you can imagine, um, you know, how something is cured, how something is made into like a pastrami, um, how beer is brewed, uh, how you add um, various elements to, um, to flavor it in different ways. Um, and ultimately, the, the coolest thing about it was um, at the time, you know, this is like 2015, there was no like high-end fine dining restaurant in the world except for like maybe some random place in, you know, Manhattan that paired beer with like high end food, mm-hmm. um, and so that was really uncharted, and, and was just a super cool thing to to be able to be on the ground floor of. Well, and and the restaurant did get some national accolades for its uniqueness and and quality, correct? Yeah, you know, it went from just like total radio silence for months. Like as far as we knew, nobody was coming in. Uh, as far as reviewers or critics, uh, people would wander in when downstairs was was super busy. 
Um, but usually they were pretty baffled by what we were doing and like why, for instance, we had at one, at one point in the menu, I think three different items that featured uh, the tongues of various animals. <laughs> there, was, there, was, there was beef tongue, there's the duck tongue, and there was veal tongue. Um, and you know, that's not what usually people, uh, go to restaurants above breweries for. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, and then the, st- once the reviews started coming in, they were, they were super positive for the most part. Um, and suddenly, you know, after about a year and a half, uh, we get a call from our great manager, Danny DeNovis, who's like, yeah, we, we've got an all call meeting. Everybody has to come right now. Um, and I thought, oh crap, that we're closing. Um, and we get there and instead, He's like, yeah. So we're uh, we're on the best restaurant list of food and wine magazine um, for the entire country. A list of like ten restaurants, and we were like number two. Wow, um, it was just bonkers. <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, uh, you know, a heavy tongue menu—that gives new meaning to the word tasting menu. There you go. Thank you. I, oh, I, I'm oh, here. All, yeah. I'm here all week. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so you you go back to this. You find solace in it. You got a challenge there. Clearly, a challenge. That oh, is yeah. there, and, and as you describe, it's athletic, it's hard work, but it's enjoyable for you. Talk about the moment where you kind of realized you were, you were, you know, this was more than just that sabbatical thing to do while you're on sabbatical, and became you found the solace in in doing this work. Yeah, so I, I mean, to to start off, I'd I'd want to clarify that, like, I love teaching, I love my students and my colleagues, and all that. Um, but, you know, we, we're playing on a different sort of like clock in, in teaching. You know, you're, you're, you're not really gauging your success as a teacher by how somebody does on a pop quiz or, or even an exam at the end of the semester. Like, you, you want to know how they're doing like five, ten years after they graduate. Um, and, and maybe then you, you can say, you know, I did have an impact or something like that. Whereas like working in pretty much any restaurant from a, a greasy spoon to a, a super fancy place with, you know, linen tablecloths and all that. Um, like if you do it well, like somebody wants to shake your hand. Like they just, they just want to tell you, you know, that was fantastic. Yeah. Like that, that changed my day. That changed my week. Like I can't wait to come back with my mom, with my wife, with my colleagues. Um, and like that, that started to happen. Like we would see people come in once and they'd be a little baffled. Um, but by the end of the meal, They'd be like, okay, all right, you do what you're going to do, and I'll, we'll just play along. Um, and then they'd come back, and they'd come back again. Um, and that was just like the, the, the gratification that comes with um, that sort of uh, like physical proof of returning when they certainly don't have to, and there are a million other you know, great restaurants in the Twin Cities to choose from. If they keep coming back to your table, um, it's it's pretty special. Um, definitely a, a sweet thing. Well, and it, it, what you just said is so relatable because I'll even apply it to people at home. How many times have you know, I'm, I'm the one that cooks most of the food in my house. And when my family looks at me and goes, Dad, this is really good. I really like this. You know, th- there is a feeling there which you just don't get too often. I mean, it's the feeling of accomplishment that I created something, and it's not mac and cheese and hot dogs. It's it, you know, generally you right. know, it's something a little bit more ornate. But it's uh, you know, you do appreciate, I think, you know that, and I can understand when you're doing that, especially when you're talking, you know, when you're talking to these high end restaurants. These are some pretty big checks people are having to write to eat the food. So you know, the fact that they're writing the check and saying the thank you that's a that's a big thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, and you know. When it comes down to it, like you're saying about cooking, I mean, there is a need you're fulfilling. You know, you're you're nourishing at, at a base level, but you know, you could 
warm up a MRE and do that. Yeah. Um, so when you can do something special and like make them something either that they want again um, or that they like they liked what you did so much that they're like, yeah, you know, you you've got the um, you've got the mic. Do whatever you want. Put put on whatever you want. Like we trust you to to sort of come up with um, the next thing. Um, and that was another really cool thing about what what Jorge and his sous chef uh, Dustin Thompson were were always doing. Um, like we had a new item on the menu every week, um, and there were very few items that stayed on the menu longer than a month or two. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it wasn't like we were the typical restaurant that was like, you know, okay, we got our burger, we got our steak. We've got our app. Um, we've got our fish. Um, we're locked in. Let's just keep it that way and put it on cruise control. Um, so, like, I've got a stack like five inches thick of like all of the previous dishes and all of the notes we had to take to, you know, get to know stuff and memorize stuff and, and learn how to, um, you know, sell it and present it in a in an interesting way. Um, and that was just like. I'm not even that ambitious with like <laughs> my own teaching and I get to choose what I do in my classes. Well, um, so that, well, that was really cool. That's the thing I like about this is because it professionalism and, and, and taking pride in your work in something, it, it, there's this concept that you, know, you go to college and you go get this degree and I'm in the office and I got my briefcase and I sit down and there you go like this. I mean, we, it is nice to remind ourselves you can find great pleasure and great satisfaction in every job. I mean, there's like there's a guy working a punch press right now that really does it well and really enjoys doing it. And God bless him. And if that's what you want to do, you should do it. And I think that that's the important thing about a book like this is that it, it tells people, you said, don't feel afraid to go back and revisit things because you, you forget what you actually do like sometimes. 100%. Yeah. And I feel like that's the point of it is not like higher education is is doomed or something or like you're, you're going to be a sad teacher um nor is it that like waiting tables is for everybody like it's an excruciating job and you know i'm 50 years now uh 50 years old i don't think i could do it again um so it's it's definitely demanding in in almost every way possible but i think you're exactly right you know like if if what you're into is um you know, uh, making sandwiches at a deli uh, or spot welding or, you know, whatever, you name it, making surfboards, um, that you can find passion wherever you go. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was part of what um, I thought I was going to do. Like, I, I ostensibly was wanted to write a book on sabbatical about, like, what jobs make people the happiest. Um, and, and so I had this list of, like, 10 different occupations that did research and all that. Um, and they were surprising. They were like, you know, a, a priest, a kindergarten teacher, but then like some kind of kooky stuff, like a heavy equipment operator. Um, and then one that I just didn't believe, which was like a, a financial advisor or something like that. Um, but my, my my idea was to like try out all these jobs, you know, kind of like Morgan Spurlock, Super Size Me style. Um, but it just never materialized. It was just logistically too difficult. Um, but the last job on the list was, you know, uh, server. Um, and so I thought, well, I guess I'll do that again. And it ended up being, you know, this job that I thought was disposable and like, uh, just a, a stopgap in, in my early years ended up being the job that I found, uh, the most satisfaction of. And, and those two years that I worked at the brewer's table were, were really among um, the happiest of my life. I love the term the last supper club. I mean, I was a kid. I remember going to the Elroy supper club up on the iron range. And nice. supper supper club supper club had a different kind of meaning there. You know, I, I just just really quick here. Get, you know, is there a specific reason why you chose the title the last supper club? I mean, was it you know was the place you worked technically a supper club? 
Yeah, no, it technically wasn't. Um, but, uh, you know, where I started the book, uh, the first chapter is the last day of our service. And it was actually the first day where we were all able to finally get together as a staff and have what's called a family meal, um, where, you know, the cooks uh, rustle up something that everybody gets to to eat, you know, ahead of a a long 8, 10, 12-hour shift. Um, But usually you're still, you know, finishing your prep work or your bed work or stuff like that, and and you don't even get to sit to eat it. Um, But on this last day, we pushed a bunch of tables together, um, and so so there we were on the last day of, of the restaurant, sitting, you know, like, like a bunch of uh, apostles about to crucify somebody. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it, it just was so obvious. But also, I just like the phrase. Um, but also, you know, I'm from Wisconsin. I love Minnesota. I love the Midwest. And supper clubs for me were just like, um, you know, the, the fondest part of like going out with your family. Um, and, uh, you know, like there's just that notion when you get to a cool supper club where your parents have their, you know, brandy old fashions, um, and you're sitting there as a kid bored out of your mind, but all of a sudden they put a, a basket of crackers that you can eat like for free. Um, and then there's like that glowing orange ball of spreadable cheese that's free somehow too. Um, I don't know. There's just something always magical about places like that. The last supper club, a waiter's requiem, Matthew Bat. Uh, The book is from University of Minnesota Press. Uh, Matthew, great book, great interview. All my best on this. And by all means, when you write your next one, come on back. Please do. Anytime. Thanks so much, Matt. Thank you very much. The Last Supper Club from Matthew Bat. We'll take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. The progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. Brett, were you in? Were you going out with family in the supper club generation? I mean, they still have them in Wisconsin, and, and there are one or two here in Minnesota too, but not like they used to be. Were you part of that before? Uh, not really. No, uh, I was. It was. I think I was kind of my generation. I'm 55. I think I was at the tail end of it. I think really by 1980, because at that point, so many chain restaurants were taken over. That it became the chain restaurants became, especially when drive-throughs came through. That kind of wiped out a lot of restaurants. At least that's what it felt like. And I remember going to the Elroy. And if you if you don't know where the Elroy is, it's it's on the old US fifty three. So you got to go to take the Brit Bypass north of Virginia. And it's it's I have no idea what it is. It's not the Elroy anymore. It's got like a military truck in front of it. Oh, so you're and, talking like a supper club in a relatively small town too. There's there's middle of nowhere. Middle of nowhere. Yeah, when I think supper clubs, I'm usually thinking, yeah, big metro areas in a big city. Well, I always thought about them. I always thought about them because I we would go to them. <laughs> I am my father's son. My dad was like, "Oh, there's a supper club over here. Let's go." And I always reminded myself we'd go in there. They'd have those wood chairs, you know, like a wooden captain's chair, right? Where you have the arm rest like this and kind of frilly, you know pads on there and this long table there was a fireplace that was roaring usually they had lots of things on the walls that you could kind of look around at and and i always remember the food i remember going there one time with my uncle who always liked his his cuts of meat rare and i swear to god they gave him the rarest cut of meat i've ever i mean a good vet could have had that sucker back up here before in a matter of time 
But I remember going and doing that and being able to get a steak. Oh, and it's a prime rib. Oh, this is great. And then I always remember, and I don't know why when I think of supper clubs of this, grasshopper pie, which is the chocolate, you know, like a chocolate pudding pie only with mint. And they had whipped cream on it and just, oh, loved that. And the fact that you were able to get that and mom and dad weren't going to be like, oh, no, you couldn't do it. Because they were like four or five into the, 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 the old fashions or the whatever drink they were. <laughs> they were the salty dogs, whatever they're knocking back at that point. But, yeah, no, I, I remember the, those, were, those, were, those were fun. And it was, it was much more of a relaxed dining experience. I mean, last night I went out with some friends. A great little place. And it was fun. But, it, you know, as I think about it compared to the, like the supper club mentality. Supper clubs, man, are very different. And, it, and, it's, and it's not like – remember I talked about Ocean Air. I went to Ocean Air. It's not like that. It's a very it's, – it's this kind of down-to-earth but, you know, the every man's dress-up place. That, maybe that's what it is. It's the every man's dress-up place. It's not pretentious enough or too expensive enough to be outpriced for anyone else. But it, so middle – the middle class could go out there and get themselves a nice meal and sit down, have a few drinks and have a good time. And no one had – and probably drive home drunk as skunks. But, I mean, still, it was kind of – that was the way it was. And the baked potato loaded. Nice bad. There's no, there's no green vegetables with this. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so I'll tell you what. Let's, let's take a break. I got to get Anita Gall back here. We got to find out – first of all, we got to find out if she's got any snow yet. Uh, she's out in the western part of the state. She is, of course, working with the state on the new flag selection committee. We're going to talk to her when we do come back. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. Oh, one of my favorite people is Anita Gall. She is kind enough to Jay to join us. The State Emblems Redesign Commission. Uh, she is uh, the head enforcer uh, of that. <laughs> she, she will she will smack you down. No, uh, she is uh, working with that organization as they are doing a brand new flag design for the state of Minnesota. We had her on early this month to talk about how you could enter in your flag, uh, your your submission. Uh, we said we're going to have her back because we're getting close to the end of the deadline here for people to put in their submissions. And so here is Anita. Hi, Anita. Greetings. How are you on this, well, rather dreary day? At least it's dreary down here in southwest Minnesota. Well, I was going to ask you, okay, all right, we're here in the metro. It's 61 degrees right now. It's foggy and rainy, but it's like 61. Are You, you haven't gotten any flakes yet, have you? Nope, that's forecasted for Saturday. Yay. So uh, if you haven't busted out the winter coats yet, now is the time. Well, it's, well, it's not going to be that cold. I mean, it's it's, it's winter cold. Oh gosh, you and probably we do actually. If it's going to be twenty, I think the wind chills out there are going to be single digits, right? Uh huh. It's going to be cold. It's up to an inch of accumulation. This is the time, Matt, to get out the winter coat, okay. the hats, the gloves. It's it's only going to get go downhill from here. Is, are the crops in out of the fields? I mean, you guys have been working hard out there. I know. That is true. That's true. We've had a bit of rain here in October, but mm. most of the crops are out. I'd say all the soybeans are out. There are a few scattered fields of, of corn yet, but most of, most of it's out. All right. Well, all my best to everyone down there because I, uh, living in Iowa, in, in rural Iowa, I got a firsthand view of what harvest season's like. So I know it's a lot of hard work. And so hopefully the rain, yeah, once you get rain can, is kind of a mess. If you're harvesting, rain can create a lot of problems, but hopefully it's not been too bad for you. It hasn't, hasn't. And to be honest, we desperately needed the rain. Yes, so yes. 
it's not a great time of year, but it is so desperately needed that that we'll take it. You, of course, uh, have run uh, for office under the DFL umbrella. You yourself as well got called in to duty here on the State Emblems Redesign Commission. And you guys, uh, it, once again, it's it's we looked at the old flag too busy needs some fixing a little bit of uh, a little bit of inappropriate uh, you know uh, uh, societal standards as well but so we we're going to redesign this and you guys opened it up and you've had about a month has it been a month of submissions yes i believe it opened on monday october 2 so we are you know into the third solidly into the third week and it's it's going until next monday the 30th so it'll be open for a good four weeks have you had a lot of submissions Oh, my word. Are, are you ready to hear? The last update the commission received was at 9 a.m. on Tuesday, this okay. past Tuesday. Do you, want, do you want a ballpark guess of how many okay. submissions we've had? I'll do it. Brett will do it, too. Uh, I'm going to say 2,500. I'll, I'll take a guess. Uh, Brett, any number for you? I'm going to go 1,367. Oh, wow. All right. <laughs> As uh, if I have inside information. Now, hopefully it's not 12. Uh, <laughs> Anita, how many, how many entries have you received? Okay, I'm going to say Brett is closer. Okay. As of Tuesday morning, we had 1,045. 1,045. Okay. You see, it's, it doesn't surprise me you're in the four digits here because this, is, this does not happen that often. No, that's true. I mean, yeah. When was the last time we redid, redid our state flag? Um, never. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, we adopted it in 1893. We made a few tweaks in the 1950s. But, you know, whole scale change it? Nope, this is the first time. Well, and, and it, once you get it, I mean, and once again, you and I talked about a lot of states are revisiting their flags right now. And, you know, some of them have put out some really pretty flags. And I don't see any of those flags probably getting changed again anytime soon. So this is for, for people in Minnesota, this is really a, you're, you're lucky this is happening in your lifetime, let alone the chance that you, you got a chance at being able to enter into it. So I, I think that that's the it doesn't surprise me at all. You've gotten that kind of response. No, no, I, I did think that would be it would be over a thousand, you know. We and we still got four days to go, um, so you know, into fifteen hundred. And a lot of people like to procrastinate, so maybe we will get closer to your number of two thousand. Well, Who I knows? think I think a lot of people like to, you know, especially the people that are very serious about this stuff. They're they're probably going to spend the next few days going over their designs and saying, okay, which is my best one? I need to clean this up a little bit, then I'll send it off. I bet you you are, are going to get a, a rush here at the end. I think you're right. I think you're right. Human nature being what it is, a lot of people are waiting. You're right. They're tweaking it. They're tweaking it. Maybe they've got five good designs, but they can only send in three. So like, ooh, got to pick my best three. So I think you're right. I think there's going to be a rush here, especially this weekend. Speaking of rushes, that's my design. I put in the uh, the Starman uh, image from the Rush 2112 album cover. I hope that becomes a state flag. We would be an awesome state flag if it did. Uh, I, I, I don't know if they're going to go with that one, though, uh, on that. I really don't think that that would, you know, I think it'd be fantastic. It's a great album. But uh, Matt, I don't... You, sh- you shouldn't share this with me because I have to look at all of these designs objectively. I cannot be influenced by if I look at one, I'm like, oh, that's Matt. That's Matt. It might sway me. <laughs> well, I, I don't think it will. But still, I mean, it's, it's nice, you know, I think. Or that, I mean, I, I, I'm... I'm I did not submit these, so this is not going to sway you at all. I'm okay, going right. to guess of the – okay, so we say we end up at 1,500. 
what are the number that are going to be purple for Prince? I'm going to guess 50 at least will be have a fairly strong purple motif. <laughs> okay, so is this an official bet, Matt, bets that at least 50 are going to be on a purple background? All right, here's the deal. You and I will make this bet right now. If, okay. if, I am, if, there, if there are not at least 50 flags with purple on them, I will – when you get back into town here, I'll take you out, go grab some good food again. I'll, my treat, okay? <laughs> Ooh, if, is it my choice? Yeah, I'm going to – Okay. 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 <laughs> okay. If, uh-oh. Uh, if, if there are 50 or more, if there are 50 or more, I get, oh. a jar, I get a jar of that honey that you gave me, which was so dang good. Oh, uh, that's not even – I was planning on bringing you one anyway. So well, we got to gotta put that off the table. And this time I'm remembering one for Brett. He needs some too. All right. So. Two jars of honey, then. Uh, Two jars. <laughs> but I'll, 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 we'll, we'll figure out this. But I'm, I'm going to guess that at least 50 of them are going to have purple in them because of Prince. Okay. I, I think you might be right. And, and not just Prince, Minnesota Vikings. Hello, they're purple. No, but would you, I mean, and I'm not, I mean, you obviously have to go into this judging very fairly. But I, I got to believe at the same time that even um, if we had a Super Bowl consistently winning Super Bowl winning football team, <laughs> that you'd probably shy away from favoring one individual sports team on any state flag, correct? I, I would guess so. I have had a number of people, though, suggest to me that there should be hockey sticks on it because we are the state of hockey. That's not the worst idea. And I mean, I mean, if you do maroon and gold in some capacity, at least you'll get both Minnesota and UMD in there. So you got that that going for you too. Although I think all the the University of Minnesota campuses across the state do have a maroon maroon and gold variant. So I, I think you might be able to get away with that. But I, yeah, you got to be careful with some of that stuff because you don't want to show favoritism to any specific private or public institution. Correct. Right, right. Yeah. We can't. Uh, I agree. I, I, maroon and gold might be a great idea, but that's favoring the U over all the other state schools. Yes. You know that. That's. We have to be as objective as possible. And and to be fair, none of us on the commission have seen any of the submissions up to this point. Okay. They are not like sh- releasing them to us as they come in. This is. It's. We don't see any of them until the submission date closes. And that's when we'll get our first look at them so that we're not influenced at all by, oh, you know, sometimes the first one you see, it just sticks with you or something. Um, so none of that. We're trying to be as objective as possible. Well, and it's interesting after you and I talked last time and you talked about, you know, you want to have a flag that's representative of all the state, you know, not just one way or the other. And you see that in some – I think um, Iowa's got a um, – a license, uh, at least their license plate in Iowa. They try to do a metro and a, a farm sort of thing. You, you, in, in some of these government institution things, they try to get that. But when I sat down and I talked with a friend about this, that's not easy to do because it is a very vibrant state from the North Woodlands and the lakes and the Lake Superior and Duluth and Minneapolis and Rochester and then the great farming communities out in the western part of the state, um, the Native American communities. I, I think it's it's – you know the river towns. It's it, that is, it's hard to kind of, you know, I, I, whoever puts in the winning bid, I'm going to give them a lot of kudos because it's going to be hard to I think to capture all that because it's not so easy once you start thinking about how you do that. I agree. I agree. Because and that's why I think it's important for. That's why we have such a diverse group of us on the commission yeah. so that everybody's voices are represented. Um, I I view myself as sort of rural Minnesota's voice at the table Mm. and so a number of people have said well maybe we should just put the state tree on it you know the norway pine and i'm like 
that's an excellent idea, but the Norway pine really doesn't represent us down on the prairies very well. Mm. You know, <laughs> that's more northern Minnesota. So I think that's the strength of this commission is that we have so many different perspectives and voices at the table that we should be able to hopefully spot, like, you know, that's really not representative of all of us Well, so and that it, we can do a better job. And we should note, you and I talked last time about South Carolina, which has a spectacular flag, that blue field with the half crescent and the palmetto tree. And, I, and you, sometimes you say to yourself, oh, it's got to be complicated because we have all these things. And then someone comes up with a design, which you can realize, like, wow, that actually does a very good job with minimalism getting everyone involved in that. And so it's not that it has to be a complicated in a lot of things. It just comes down to the concept. And if the concept matches, I imagine the commission's going to run right to that one. I would hope so. I, you know, I guess the nightmare situation is if we get to the, the five finalists and we just can't decide from the five finalists because they're all so good, right? Yeah. Like, oh, if we have to choose one of these, how, how can we? Um, but, yeah, I guess the best-case scenario is that one will just stand out and will be like, yes, that's yeah. the one. That's the one that represents all of us. In Minnesota. Well, as long as it has Tractorsaurus on it. I was at a truck for one time. Tractorsaurus? He breathes fire. I mean, that is an intimidating flag. Um. <laughs> when I was doing 4-H, I did a, led a couple of after-school 4-H programs talking about the flag ray design. And, and one, one boy did really want to put a John Deere tractor on. And I said, that is great, but I don't know if we can have John Deere. You know, that's copyrighted. I don't know if we can put that on the state flag. But just color it green, right? Well, you can do a Minneapolis Moline. At least we made those tractors here, but they're you orange. Know, maybe you can do that instead. <laughs> they're orange. It's a, it's an, and the orange flag, I mean, I mean, I don't know much about color palettes, but I, I think, you know, there are some day-glow pink, day-glow green, you know, or bright orange. Unless we're Florida, I don't think that's going to work necessarily for us that's true although it would be one of the good the rules of good flags is that it's distinctive now an orange flag would certainly be distinctive oh yeah you you, you tell that canadian border really quick uh <laughs> like, oh wow you can see it it glows actually if we did it like neapolitan ice cream with day glow pink day glow green and orange like you know one of those you know three packs you know and we just did that across and we just and we never explained it to anyone we just put it up there and they're like what do the colors mean? It's like n- nothing. It's just that's what we like. And everyone's going to be like, oh. oh, yeah, there you go. See, that was my first question. Be like, but what do these colors signify? What do they signify? Like nothing? Delicious uh. sor- sorbets. That's <laughs> Come to Minnesota for our delicious sorbets. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's what we're known for that's exactly. throughout the entire union is grape, our delicious sorbets. Grape yes. salad and <laughs> grape salad and delicious sorbets. Uh, okay, so let's go through once again. First of all, let's talk about the entries. What do the entries have to be? Well, they really they, there's no hard and fast rules for any of them except there's two. The two hard and fast rules for your submission is number one: nothing obscene and profane. Okay. I think we can all agree that we don't want an obscene state flag. That's yes. off the table. And the second one is is that neither the seal nor the flag design can represent just one person or one community. So I know you like the idea of a purple flag to, for, for Prince, right? But you can't put Prince's face on the flag yeah. because he is representative of just one person. Although that would so, be an awesome flag. That would be an uh, awesome flag. <laughs> 
Well, you know, if if you feel strongly about it, you know, produce it on your own, and you can just sell it, you know, sell it on your radio show. There, there we go. Well, your point is fair, though. You can't necessarily put a politician or an athlete or anything no. out there. You no. want to make sure it is not so central focused on there. And I think Dylan would also have an issue with that. So there, you know, maybe you put Good both point. of them. Up, <laughs> you put both of them up there, uh, and, and there, and there you go. No, uh, but okay. So it, it doesn't want it to be individual. Uh, it does, you know, it has to represent, you know, you want it kind of representing the state, uh, as well. And, and then, so if, once you get this, are, are you doing this on a, a computer design or are you doing this on paper? How, how do you submit this? You could do it either way. If you, we encourage digital, digital submissions because they are a little bit, uh, easier for us to deal with. But if you don't have, you know, you're not good on the computer, you don't have the right programs or software or, you know easy access to one you can draw it on an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper download the submission form from our website and mail it in in a manila envelope we do request that you not fold it you know into a business size envelope put it in a nice manila envelope so it's flat uh send it to the address listed on the website and it will get scanned in and we will consider it with all the rest of them what is the website people should be looking for if they want to put a a submission in um well, if you Google Minnesota State Emblems Redesign Commission, it'll bring you right there. Otherwise, the website itself is www.mnhs.org backslash S-E-R-C. MNHS, that's the Minnesota Historical Society, dot org backslash S-E-R-C. I will make sure I post that as well so that if people want to make a so. submission. When's the deadline to have the submissions in? 11:59 p.m. Monday, October 30. All righty. So you're gonna you're gonna be inside all weekend anyway because it's gonna be cool. So you know it gives you time to gra- gra- grab some 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 paper. If you're mailing it, when does it have to be postmarked by? It has to be postmarked by 11:59 on October 30. And I don't know of any post offices that stay open till 11:59 well. p.m. So you might want to get there. You know by. Four, four thirty. Yeah, yeah. You know, just to be sure, <laughs> those post offices they offer a different product. Uh, no, that, so you want to go to a U.S. Postal Service outlet and get that postmark on there by the end of business on Monday, or submit it online by eleven fifty nine that night. Correct. Correct. I, I okay. I'm not saying they're going to have prints on the flag. But there'll be <laughs> purple flags. I'm going to guarantee you're going to have at least fifty purple flags. See. See, I'm going to take your bet, and I'm going to double it. I, you say over fifty. I'm going to say there's going to be over a hundred. Okay, so you're going you're the other way. You're betting fifty to a hundred. I'm saying between a hundred and a hundred and fifty are going to be purple. All right. Well, well, well. You'll have to let us know eventually. We'll we'll have you on before Thanksgiving. Hopefully, by then you guys will have gone through the flag designs, and you can tell us. You know, you can tell us just how many flags were purple. Okay, I, I think you and I could talk about it because our big meeting is November 21 when we're all coming together in okay. person and we have to nail this down to the top five finalists. All right, then we'll talk to you and we'll, we'll have you back on in early December. Okay, that well, sounds like a plan. We'll have you back you on. You know, your listeners are probably going to get sick of me coming no, on so yeah, you're, you're one of the coolest people I know. So hands down, it's like... Yeah, you you are, not know very many people. Man. Well, no, indeed. <laughs> no, I, first of all, it's me. Come on. <laughs> all right. You need, you need to enlarge your circle of acquaintance. Uh, yeah. Matt actually just lives at the station. I he interacts with me every... Uh, <laughs> my only friends are Brett and Patrick. And, 
I'm a lonely, lonely person. Uh, Anita, I'll make sure I get the link out there. Thank you very much for coming on back. We will check back with you to see about the Purple Flags. And then, by the way, after on the 21st, which is the Monday of Thanksgiving week. Um, it's the Tuesday of Thanksgiving or tu- week. Tuesday of Thanksgiving week. It's that week. Um, what happens when you come down to the finalists? Where, how does that happen? What happens after that? Well, after we narrow it down to the top five finalists, then we're going to open it up for the next couple of weeks for public input. Okay. Um, where the public will have a chance to comment on these these five designs that we've narrowed it down to before we come together sometime in mid December to make that final selection from those top five of our the commission's choice to forward to the legislature by January 1. All right. We'll get we'll we'll talk more about that in December. Hopefully a little bit better decorum than when we named the snowplows. Hopefully hopefully it's not going to get nearly <laughs> as many fights with that. You know probably someone is kind of going to spoof us and you know submit a flag with you know snowy McSnowplow or well, whatever well, on the flag. There's going to be a hidden Green Bay Packer <laughs> logo and they watch or for that. Like I, that. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> uh, the State Emblems Redesign Commission Anita Gall uh, we'll get the link out there. Thanks, Anita. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, we'll take a break. Wrap up the show for your Thursday. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. Maybe just an Arby's beef and cheddar on there. Welcome to Minnesota. No, that doesn't represent the whole state. Unless they have a vegan version. Cheddar on the flag. I don't know about that. <laughs> I just I don't know about a vegan version of an Arby's beef and cheddar. Uh, um, no, I I think I I'm fascinated by it. And and one of the things I think is cool is that when you start talking about this, like we have with Anita, your first thought is, oh, this is going to be a complicated. It's going to look like the Maryland flag. It's just all over the place. You know, colors and designs and. You know, all this stuff. And the reality is, is that generally I the new flag designs I have seen, they're really good because they're kind of simplistic. And so I'm fascinated. I want I'm glad the artists are getting in on this. I would love to see what the submissions are. And hopefully we'll have some good ones. And hopefully it's it's hopefully there's like one or two that are just, you know, top notch easily. That's going to be one of them. And we can go from there. We'll have to see how that goes. Uh, we, of course, uh, got Native Roots Radio. I'm awake. That's coming up next. Have a good one. We are back on a Friday. Till then, see ya.